Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are so glad to have you guys with us at our service this morning. We have a very special service planned for you guys, so you, we got some real treats ahead. But this morning, I want to continue a series that we've been in for a number of weeks now called Simplify. And in this series, we've been looking at a specific invitation that Jesus gave to us. An invitation to say, hey, listen, I understand that this life is wearyful and it's burdensome and you need rest. And I'm offering you a way to be able to get that. And what we've found is that through this simplifying process, it's been proven that it reduces anxiety, it reduces stress, it raises the level of peace within us, our ability to focus, our ability and capacity to love other people, and God goes up. And there has never been a time where we are more in need of those things than right now during this unique phase and part of our history as people. And this morning, we're going to continue this series by taking a look at this passage again in Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 28. And here's what Jesus invites us to do. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He ends by saying, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we saw this in weeks past. It's such a brilliant invitation because Jesus is not promising an easy life. Anybody who's promising an easy life, they're trying to sell you something. But Jesus is saying, it's not an easy life I'm offering you, but an easy yoke. An easy way to carry the weight of this life because life has a weight. We all have a load to carry. But he's saying, let me show you. There's a way to carry it with ease, the way I carried life. And it's so powerful when we begin to do that. It's a, it's a way of beginning to implement the life of Jesus into our own life. We said it this way. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. One doesn't come without the other. And therein lies the secret of this easy yoke. How do we begin to live a life uh, that we really find rest for our souls? We have to begin to implement the life of Jesus into our own life. Especially if you call yourself a Christian or a Christ follower today, this is imperative for you. And if you're considering it today, that you're gonna see some incredible, deep, soul-level benefits that come from connecting your life with Jesus Christ. And as we begin this process, I just wanna tell you, over the next four messages in this series, we're gonna look at four essential practices of Jesus for spiritual health. Four essential practices for spiritual health. And the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna just drill down and look at the life of Jesus. And what, most of what we know about Jesus comes from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament. These are considered the Gospels. They're essentially biographies of Jesus. 
It's kind of unique because Jesus was known as a rabbi or a teacher, and most of what he did was teach. But most of what we have in the Gospels are just stories, accounts of what Jesus did, how he lived, his lifestyle. And it got me thinking this week, all of us, well, I would assume many of us have read or watched movies that would be considered biographies. They're stories of people's lives, true stories of their life. What is so fascinating about biographies? Why do we read biographies? The reason I would argue that we read biographies is not just to know more about that person, although that's part of it, but it's to become like that person. It's something about that man or woman that we admire and we say, wow, that would be really cool to emulate. I would love to have some of that success, or I'd love to figure out and learn what they knew. And we're all smart enough to understand that our life is a cumulative effect of all of our habits and our choices and all of these things that we do habitually every single day, and they add up to who we become in this life. This was exactly Jesus' point in giving us the Gospels. So that we would look at it just very much that way and to say, what can we learn from the way Jesus actually lived? How he behaved, how he treated people, how he interacted with his Father in heaven? These are great questions. Now the irony is, to what I'm telling you right now, is that is not the way that most Christians or Christ followers read the New Testament, or the way they read the Gospels anyway. That many times they look only at the teaching and say, we can build theology or lifestyle practices off of what he taught, but don't pay as much attention to what he actually did. And I would argue that the stories of Jesus' life, the stories of Jesus' life have as much to teach us about life in the kingdom or being people of God, of following the way of Jesus, as his sermons do. I really believe there's so much for us to learn here. And that's what we're going to do over these next several weeks. And starting today, we're going to take a look at the lifestyle of Jesus, the habits, if you will, his practices, what have come to be known as spiritual disciplines of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this idea of spiritual disciplines. Think about what is a discipline, not, not even just a spiritual discipline, but just a discipline in general, what is a discipline? I love this definition of discipline. A discipline is any activity that you can do now which will eventually enable you to do what you can't do now. Something that you can do now that will eventually enable you to do what you can't do now. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you're, it's a fitness goal. You have a fitness goal of being able to bench press your body weight, okay? And, and I'm in touch with not being able to do this, okay? So I, I can relate, all right? So you want to be able to bench press your body weight. So you begin a discipline of push-ups. Let's say maybe you can only do five push-ups. So you do three sets of five push-ups. And then you build up to 10, 10 push-ups, three sets of 10, and then you go to 15, and then 20, and then 25. And then you start with just the bar on the barbell, and you just start doing reps, and you do three sets of whatever your max is, and then you incrementally increase the weight. And over time, here's what you'll find, this is so cool, is that in time, you will become the kind of person that can do what you couldn't do previously. That's the power of disciplines. People lose the sight of, the, of that when they start implementing disciplines, but they think, this is just too hard. I don't know, this is taking too long. This is so difficult. But that's how discipline is. It takes time and over time. 
The other thing that's beautiful about disciplines as we begin to implement them is that a discipline is a way to access power you don't currently have. It's a way to access power. What you're doing with the bench press is you're gaining greater power. Strength is starting to be gained. It's incremental, it's slow, it's little, little by little, but it's gained because of the discipline. And what Jesus teaches us, if you begin to implement his spiritual disciplines, it allows you to have access to a power beyond yourself, that of the Holy Spirit of God. That God's Spirit allows us to connect with and begin to access power that comes from him and him alone. And it's beautiful. And Jesus models this. And he says, and if you'll begin to live like this, not only will you access this incredible power of God, but it will begin to bring nourishment and rest for your souls. It will begin to give you the life you have looked for and wanted, you you have searched for and longed for your whole life. And it's found in me in implementing these disciplines. And this is what we're going to look at. So today, to look at the discipline we're going to look at today, let's drill down a little bit more. And let me just tell you a quick story. I remember, I'm old enough that I can remember a time back in the 90s when we had this thing called boredom, okay? And I know this is going to be hard for some of you to believe, but there were times in the past where you would be like on a road trip with your family, And if you forgot to bring a book or a magazine or something to look at, a puzzle to do, you had to sit in the back seat and just stare out the window. I know, it's hard to believe. And you're bored, you know, and you just had to like come up with something. Or if you were kids, you were getting together and you were gonna have to play and you didn't have a game or didn't have a toy, you had to use your imagination. You just had to come up with something. and, And it was just all up to you. And let's say you were in a public place at a coffee shop standing in line to get served and you're standing there. There was no, nothing to grab, nothing. And people literally, it gets so bored they would do that. You're not gonna believe it. They would turn and strike up a conversation with another person until it was their turn to be served. Can you believe? I, it's crazy. I know it's hard to believe, but I am not lying. These, this actually used to happen, right? So I'm obviously making fun a little bit. I'm having some fun this morning. And my point isn't we should go back to a pre-digital age that would be really difficult and near, basically impossible. That's not what I'm advocating. But what I am saying is that when we had these moments of boredom throughout the day, what we used to have, they became potential portals for prayer that we could pause and pray and talk to God. And now, with all of the digital distractions that we are surrounded with every single day and constantly, all of those have been gobbled up and they're gone. And we have to ask the question, what has that done to our ability to listen to and to follow God? Because all of this happen, you know, because we live in a day, and you probably have experienced this too, and maybe your kids and your family have gone through this. If we even feel the hint of boredom beginning to come on, we immediately reach for the appendage that is our phone, right? I mean, it's so true. I came across a survey recently that was done by Microsoft that said that 77% of young adults answered yes when asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone, Nearly eight out of 10 young adults say that is just my go-to. If I'm brutally honest, and, and my question is, 
And my, I mean, my statement is that has a profound impact on our apprenticeship of Jesus. With the constant distraction, the constant go-to of the phone, it is near impossible to be able to be fully present with God, for God, for other people, even for our own souls. And here's my point. The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God. The one input, guys, that we most need. It, it makes it more and more difficult. And it leaves us asking a brutally difficult question that we have got to look to Jesus for. Is there a practice from the way of Jesus that could help us with this? Is there something that Jesus modeled that could answer this yearning and longing in our soul collectively, as society, in our culture, globally? People are saying, oh, I am like thirsting for water and I'm in the desert and I can't find it in terms of how my soul feels because of this digital landscape that I live in. And so today, I want to tell you the answer is a resounding yes. There is an example. There is a practice. There is a discipline that Jesus shows us. And it is given to us. It's introduced in one of the most fascinating stories. It's the story of Jesus' baptism. And over in Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 17, Jesus, this is an amazing moment. Jesus is baptized in front of this group of people um, and he, by his cousin John, John the baptizer, right? So he comes up out of the water and there's this amazing moment where the voice of God speaks down from heaven. Verse 17 tells us this. And the voice says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let me just say, just as a parenthetical note, just a side note here. This is before Jesus has done anything. Before he has a ministry, before he's gone to the cross, anything. And God is saying, this is my son whom I love. I love him already. And I'm already well pleased with him before he's done anything. I just wanted to point this out. What a beautiful picture of the kind of relationship that God desires with every single one of us that he wants to have with us through his son, Jesus Christ. That we don't earn that love. He offers it to us freely. It's a gift of mercy and grace. That we don't earn his approval. He's already well pleased with us. What a beautiful thing. And here Jesus is, I mean, arguably one of the most crescendo moments, emotional mountaintop, spiritual mountaintop, huge moment. It is considered the launch pad of Jesus' public ministry. And, but what's really interesting about this moment is what happens next. In the very next verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 Take a look at what happens next. It says, then Jesus, like then, like right after he comes out of the water, the, the water's still dripping off his body. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. So he's baptized and immediately, the very next thing he does is he goes into the wilderness. Some, biblical, some Bibles translate that as the desert. He goes into this lonely place. As a matter of fact, this word um, wilderness or desert comes from the Greek word eremos, 
Arimos, that can be translated lots of different ways. Let me show you some of the ways. It could be desert. It could be deserted place. It could mean desolate place. It could mean solitary place. It could mean lonely place. It could be quiet place, my personal favorite. Okay, quiet place and wilderness. It could mean any or a combination of all of these things. But here's what Jesus does. Immediately after being baptized, he goes into this lonely place. And we have to admit, this is a a really odd story. I mean, you read that first line there, right, from verse 1, and you see that Jesus was led by the Spirit, like the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And and, and I don't know about you, I'm tempted to say, what is up with that, right? And I I remember reading this for years thinking, why? Why? Like, why is it like this? Like, I know there's, a, there's coming a showdown between Jesus and Satan, the ultimate protagonist and antagonist of all of the Bible. It's been building up to this moment. But not like this. Not like all by himself out in the middle of the wilderness or the desert somewhere. And after he's been fasting for 40 days, he's exhausted, he's hungry, He's worn out. He's at probably, arguably, I think, I've never fasted for 40 days. I'm going to be honest, right? But if I had, I don't think I would be at my best at that particular moment. But this is exactly what he did. And, and I want you to see that I came to that conclusion because I always saw the wilderness or the Eremos, this desert place, as a place of weakness, thinking, well, isn't that just like the devil? He comes to us at the end of a long, hard, difficult week, when we're tired, we're hungry, we're hangry, right? We're, we want to give up. We're not at our best, and he wants to attack us. But I realized, guys, I had this backwards. The aha I had was the wilderness isn't a place of weakness. It's a place of strength. It's a place of strength. Think about it for a minute. Jesus, for 40 days, has been doing nothing but praying and fasting, seeking his Father, time alone with the God of the universe. It's at this moment that he is most prepared to face the prince of darkness and to be able to walk away unscathed. It's profound when you begin to think of it. Jesus had a completely different perspective on these kinds of moments than we do, and he's trying to teach us something. I hope some light bulbs go on for you today, because this is what Jesus did. We see over and over and over, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus coming back to the Eremos over and over again. So the 40 days is over. The temp- he passes the test, if you will, the temptation of the tempter. He comes back and begins his public ministry. In Mark chapter 1, we're told it is a brutal marathon of a day. First day on the job. He's teaching in the temple. He is going back to Peter's house. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then, after the sun goes down on the Sabbath, there is people lined up outside that want to get healed. And so he's healing people way late into the night teaching and healing and talking to people and meeting needs all into the night. And you can, I would only imagine at this point, he would turn to Peter and some of the other people in the house and say, look, I'm exhausted. I'm going to sleep in in the morning. Tell anybody who comes to the door, I'll see them later, okay? I'm just worn out, okay? But that's not what he did. 
we're told in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. There's the Eremos. And where he prayed, he gets alone with the Father. He makes time for God in the middle of all of this. Fascinating, isn't it? And we find that just a couple of verses later, Peter and some of his friends are, are looking for Jesus because people everywhere in the village are beginning to look in Capernaum and around are looking for Jesus. And we're told in verse 37, it says, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. I mean, your adoring fans want to see you. They want to hear from you. I mean, hashtag Jesus is trending right now. You're blowing up. You got to get out here. You got to do and be and all these things. And it's so interesting. The very next verse, here's how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. One scholar says, that's Jesus for no. I love that. That's Jesus saying, no, I don't think so. I got somewhere else I need to be. I want you to see, it's beautiful. When he comes out of the Eremos, this quiet place with God, he is so connected to his identity and his calling. Who I am and why I'm here. Who I am and why I'm here. It, wouldn't that be great to wake up every day and have a firm grasp on who you are and why you're here? And you don't have to call this into question. People spend most of their lives trying to figure out who they are and why they're here and what's their purpose and why, what are they trying to accomplish in this life. Jesus says, look, it's found in the Arimos. He models it. Beautiful. And then we're told, this is a, a few days later, a couple of chapters later in Mark, Mark chapter 6 now, we're told that there's been a, a, a several days in a row that are super busy days for he and the disciples. They're going like crazy. They're exhausted. They're hungry, tired. And it says it like this in verse 31. I love this. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, right? Again, a little hangry. I would be, all right? He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, Arimos. There it is again. And get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, the Arimos. I just want you to see, when we get tired as a society, generally, and I'm gonna talk about my own personal tendencies right here too, when we get whooped, I mean just worn out, we wanna escape, we wanna be entertained, we wanna step back and say, I just wanna binge watch some stuff, I just wanna be left alone, I wanna play video games, I wanna do my hobby, I wanna do whatever, and those are not bad things, but Jesus is showing us here what you really need, what deep down your soul is thirsting for, longing for, yearning for, is time alone with me. Those are all good things, all those other things, that's great, but, don't do those at the expense of not doing this. You need to get alone with me. And Jesus showed us this habit, this practice, this discipline that the busier he got, the more he turned to the Arimos. The more crazy life got, the more he held on with like a death grip to his Arimos alone with his father. Beautiful. Luke chapter five, verse 16 tells us Jesus often withdrew, often withdrew, often withdrew, often withdrew to lonely places, the Eremos, and prayed. 
He went there time after time after time after time. He's showing us this is how you are to practice and follow my yoke, my lifestyle. This is how you implement the kind of life that you will give you rest to your souls that you long for and need so desperately. And, and Jesus is modeling this for us. And if, if I could be just brutally honest with you again, confessional Sunday morning here from the pastor, my tendency personally is that the busier I get, I do just the opposite of what Jesus does. I get busy, I make less time for God if I'm not careful. Now, I'm so thankful that the Lord is teaching me how to correct this in my own life and catch it and, and asking my wife and other people to speak into my life whenever that's starting. They're noticing that. But it's so true. It, it, it's true of me. How about you? Have you felt that too? You felt that way? The busier it gets, the more frantic and fast-paced life, it gets harder, not easier, to have this Aremos time with God, right? And you may say, well, Will, I got a good excuse, man. I got a demanding job that just requires me to be on almost 24-7. Or I am a full-time mom. I am a full-time dad. I got lots and lots of demands on me. And I get it. I understand. It is tough. It's very difficult. What I'm asking you to do and what Jesus is modeling for, it's not easy. But I would just consider, I would ask you to consider, to think about this statement right here. Jesus needed time in the quiet place. Let me say it one more time. Jesus needed time in the quiet place. And if Jesus needed time, he saw it as non-negotiable. It was essential to his spiritual health. How much more do we need it? How much more should we be considering? This is critical, that we need silence and solitude. We need quiet and alone time with God because our souls guys yearn for it long for it we are so hungry we are so starved to death for it and we're trying to feed ourselves with things that just make us more empty and Jesus is saying I'm showing you where you can come get living water I'm showing you where you can find the bread of life please Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your soul. Now the question you may be asking, I certainly would if I were watching this today. So what's at stake if I don't, Will? I mean, I, maybe you've never done a quiet time or it's been a really long time and you're out of the practice. So what's at stake? What, what, who, what, what, matter, what difference does it make, right? Well, the first thing you'll notice is you will begin to feel distance between you and God. And what you're feeling is real. There is distance between you and God. When there's not a priority of time drawn close, you will feel the distance. And I've told this to people I love dearly in my family and close friends, that the reason you're feeling distant from God is because you are. But you can do something about it. You can draw close to him. One of the other things that, that's at stake here is that we lose sight of, just like Jesus, our identity and our calling. Jesus over and over just reaffirmed this and would state it and it seemed to be closely correlated and associated and related to his Aremos time with God over and over. 
The other thing that's at stake, and I've seen it in my own life, I've heard other people articulate this to me, there is this constant undercurrent of anxiety in this life that rarely, if ever, goes away without this kind of time. It just keeps coming. The current builds and builds and builds, and there is this exhaustion that will start to set in that can't be satiated by no amount of vacationing or entertainment or you name it that just makes you feel better for just a moment and then you're empty again. There is this escapism mentality that will begin to set in. I just want to be entertained. I just got to get, I got to get and go and do and if I can just buy and have and try this and experience that and we can go and this will fix it. And it doesn't. It makes us easy prey to the tempter. We are tempted to explode emotionally. We are tempted to be easily offended on Facebook. Hello, anybody during the quarantine, right? Anybody? I, my, it's out there, right? Social media. Easily get defensive, mad, angry, sad, all at the same time. And I'm telling you guys this because I have lived it and I hate it. It's awful. You don't want to live like this. My prayer is neither, neither I, me or you will have to live like that anymore. Jesus is saying, here's the path. Here's the example. Here's the yoke. Come and follow me. When I was growing up in my faith tradition, if you will, in my church, we called this time quiet time. Pretty simple, not real complicated. And quiet time essentially was composed of you sitting down in the morning, preferably, sometimes it happened at night, but with your Bible, it, it, it had as a component to it prayer. And for me, I have incorporated probably over the last decade um, journaling, and I've talked about that before, but how powerful journaling has become for me just to write out my prayers. Now these journals need to remain private and um, not for people to read because you need to be able to have a safe space to really dump out your guts before God. But this time also, for me anyway, includes coffee. You need maybe a little caffeine in the morning. I love making that a part of it as well. But it's during this time that I come before God and I talk to him. I invite God into my day. I want him to work in my day. I'm asking, I'm confessing. I'm asking God to forgive, up my, forgive my screw-ups. Um, I'm asking him to help me with my needs. I'm asking him to help me with my hurts, stuff that I'm struggling with. I'm telling you, it's amazing how it begins to alleviate this pressure, this load, this crippling load of life to begin to offload that onto God. And then it's just some time to just sit in the quiet place with God, just you and God and your soul, just laid open and bare. God, show me what you want to say to me. Show me through your word. Maybe you've never done this before, and, and you're saying, where do I even start in the Bible? I would just encourage you to start with those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four biographies of Jesus, and begin to read, what did Jesus do, and how did he treat people, and how did he live, and what was the example? Read those, and just begin to be open to say, God, show me how you love me, how you want me to live through the example I'm seeing on the page. It's powerful what will begin to happen. 
And, and I'll tell you what, this, this time for me has become so important, so powerful. It's become my, one of my favorite parts of the day. Matter of fact, I wouldn't give it up for the world. So what do you say? Would you be willing to try? Start the quiet time in your own life starting today. To be willing to say, yes, I'll carve out time. It's time, people, it's time to breathe. It's time to just rest before your Father in heaven. It's time to listen to what he wants to say to you. And who knows, maybe you'll hear a word from God that will alter your destiny. It will change your life forever. But you won't know if you don't make time for it. Maybe it'll be God beginning to alleviate and lift off you some emotional scarring or event or hurt from way back that you've been, you, know, you, you forgot you're dragging it. You forgot you're carrying this. But God will help you to begin to raise that up and off of you finally for the first time. And you'll feel free. This is what happens in the quiet time, in the quiet place, the Eremos. This is why Jesus made it such a priority. And now Jesus stands today and saying, will you come and follow me into the quiet place? Follow me into the Eremos because I have something very special I want to do in your life and you won't know it unless you take this time. Here's the prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, I will carve out more time for silence and solitude, the Eremos. My soul longs for more of you. This is what I am hungry for on the soul level, and it's time to let God begin to be your bread of life and the living water that will finally and fully satisfy your soul. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.